Hello, I am Ariel Munafo. And I am Moshe Ferber. And this is the Silver Lining Podcast. The podcast about security engineering. Hello, everyone. Another episode of Silver Lining Podcast. And with me, as always, Moshe. How are you, Moshe? Very good, Ariel. Good to see you. Good to see you, too. Uh, we are in the uh, recording online, but uh, still uh, seeing each other by Zoom. And with us also, Rob. How are you, Rob? I'm excellent. I'm excited to be here. Looking forward to the chat. Well, it's great having you here, uh, Rob. Can you introduce a little bit about yourself and about your company, which is called Racken? I would be happy to. My name is Rob Hirschfeld. I'm CEO and co-founder of Racken. And I've been doing infrastructure and infrastructure automation, boy, for most of my career, which uh, for me would span back over 20 years, uh, working on data centers, uh, cloud infrastructure, you know, the, the sort of the, the guts of how all this modern IT operates. And I, I actually started back as, as a mechanical and industrial engineer. So a lot of the process pieces that go behind this are really second nature to me. Um, Racken is a software, auto, it's a, we're an automation company that produces software to help companies run data centers more effectively. The, the whole infrastructure is code idea really is something that's been natural to us since you know the early days of, of forming Racken and the software that led into it um, where we're really trying to help companies create more autonomous infrastructure um, data centers that build themselves if you if you will um, has been a goal of mine personally throughout my career and then is something we're actually starting to realize with Racken so it's super exciting work um, in the space of automating you know cloud edge and on-premises colo data centers. Okay, so no surprises today. Our talk for our topic for today is the um, automation and infrastructure as code, which is uh, one of the more interesting technologies that can um, that can help us. Uh, first of all, uh, build more resilient applications, and second, avoid the big problem of the cloud, which is misconfigurations. And everybody are talking how to avoid it, and the, probably the way to do this is uh, uh, IAC, but that's only in short. Can you give us a little bit about the challenge of building secure infrastructure and the challenges of automating infrastructure? Wow. The, the thing that about infrastructure that's so different than writing code is that the infrastructure is what it is, um, <laughs> which, which is saying that you have to lean into the fact that it is complex, that the things that you do in infrastructure are complex for reasons and that they have um, you know, certain aspects of them that you just can't code away. You can't get around networking and the need for multiple physical links in a network. Um, you can't get around how the operating system has to interact with the, 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 the you know, drives and the components and all the things within the systems. And so there is this inherently needful complexity and needful heterogeneity in infrastructure systems that make it more complex. And then that complexity translates into things that are hard to secure, things that change outside of your control. Um, and also things that are set up in ways that service the needs of the infrastructure, not the needs of what the programmer wants them to be. You can't just say, oh, I want the API to this to look like, you know, <laughs> I just want to ignore BGP. It, it breaks all the time. Just make it go away. And you can't. It, it exists to solve a problem. And that's the way infrastructure always is. The things that, that are there, we have to adapt to. Um, and I'll, I'll say one other note on that. 
when we pretend that it doesn't, <laughs> we, we actually cause more problems because then when we have to fix patch or something changes or innovation happens, then our systems are so rigid, they end up breaking or being stuck in the past. Um, and that that's actually a big part of the problem is, is not legacy infrastructure, but the way we've um, not adapted our automation of that infrastructure to accommodate it changing. Okay. In our preparation talk, we talked about, uh, we talked about, uh, we, we had the preparation call and we, then we talked about the infrastructure pipeline versus the development pipelines. Can you give us a couple of words about it? Oh, we're, we're really excited about this. Um, you know, a couple of years ago, going on a decade, we really started talking about dev pipelines and this whole idea of doing more build integrations and connecting teams together through development processes. What, what we're finally getting to now is a comparable thing from an infrastructure perspective where we actually can run a system from the start of the infrastructure all the way through to its full life cycle and then on day two. So you can continually patch, apply, roll changes through an, a, a system in a connected series of events that you can actually code that, that chain together also. So a lot of the things that you get out of dev pipelines, we haven't had in infrastructure and infrastructure pipelines are finally starting to deliver that promise where we can do a dev test prod rollout with exactly the same code, or we can add in a security step into a standard process in a consistent way. The, the DevSecOps concept uh, should be applicable in infrastructure and automation. And that's where we see the term infrastructure pipelines. Um, they're not, they're not the same as dev pipelines, but very similar concept. When I, uh, at least uh, part of my time, I'm doing CCSK training. And over there, we are saying that we need to, the version, what is different in CI CD pipeline is the version now includes both the infrastructure templates and the, and the code. So now we used to separate, you know, the testing round was X and then the, um, the uh, the code version was Y, and today we're saying okay, there's one version, and it's contained both the templates and the uh, and the the code that we deploy on on those uh, infrastructure. Do you find this uh, the mm -hmm. right approach? It it is, but it's missing something also. So you know what you're describing, I would I would say people are embracing using the term GitOps, where they're saying, oh, the thing I want to deploy, the way I want my infrastructure to look is included into my Git repository. And I have a file that says, this is what my cluster should be. And if I modify that file, it changes the cluster. And that's great. I, I think that that is actually a really positive way to think about how you want to build infrastructure. But, the, but that's not a pipeline. That's a configuration file or a, or a, a, a state objective. The thing that in, uh, the pipeline gives you is it takes that, that target and then it actually backs all of the operation, all of the automation tasks, the provisioning operations, the network configurations, all of those things that have to go into executing on that desired state, that's what the pipeline's building. So you know, you, you can't just say, I have a file and that's my pipeline. That's the input for a pipeline. And then the pipeline is what, what drives it. The other thing that's important that, that's missed in that type of a definition is what a dev pipeline does. A dev pipeline actually is composed of reusable steps all along the way. And so part of what we're doing with pipelines isn't just executing something end to end. We're also building a development platform 
that allows you to do automation for in modular chunks and reuse pieces and inject new steps into that process. And so while I think people reasonably say, I, I'm going to do more infrastructure work in my dev pipeline, this idea of, you know, actually building the pipeline from that is also important. And infrastructure is a resource intensive thing. It's actually managing resources, which makes the infrastructure pipeline different than the dev pipeline. Dev pipelines move code and code artifacts. Infrastructure pipelines actually have to balance resources and manage resources. And it's a, it's a different, it's a very different um, approach to how you actually automate. Okay. This is an interesting, uh, uh, and to think about it a bit. A while ago in the beginning of the year, um, uh, it's February, yeah? So it wasn't, uh, <laughs> it wasn't so long ago. Uh, I was called into, um, into the help. Uh, somebody asked me to assist him. They were trying to buy, uh, to build a new uh, pipeline for a new application. And yeah. they, 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 had a, they had a dispute. They, they didn't know which team should be responsible for building what. And they had the DevOps team and the uh, IT team arguing which, uh, who is in charge of what. Can you tell us a little bit how this automation of infrastructure is, uh, should work with the different teams in the organization? Oh my goodness, that is so important. Um, and, and this is to me one of the, the tragedies of how we've built automation in, in the past. We've, we've been very siloed and we've also been very um, you know, quick to draw boundary lines or, or authority lines. And one of the things about CICD pipelines and the way we look at development is in development, you would actually build libraries or modules and you, wouldn't you, don't, you shouldn't have teams warring over who has responsibility for it. In, in development, we're very used to sharing code and, and reusable modules and connecting things together. The, the thing that's missing and what infrastructure pipelines do outside the tech, and I think this is even more important, is they actually provide places for teams to collaborate. Because the reality is both teams should have a way to collaborate around an infrastructure pipeline. The, the idea that one team owns it and the other team doesn't is an artifact of, the, of our siloing responsibility. In, an, in a productive infrastructure pipeline, you actually have all of the modules lined up as artifacts. And then teams can work on their parts of the pipeline and then coordinate the work across the pipeline. And that's hugely empowering. So instead of a dev team, right? And I, I think this is an anti-pattern that we see in the industry. You talk about these full stack engineers or, or full stack teams that own their code into production and they should be responsible for their code, but they shouldn't be responsible for the infrastructure they should actually be able to call up the platform team or the DevOps team and say, all right, what is the right way for me to deploy all this infrastructure? Can you manage it? Can you help me with this? And the, the, that's, that's the behaviors we want to encourage. And the tools that we have today haven't been built to, to, with that in mind. They're built to sell into the silos rather than built to break down the silos. And that to me is the, the fundamental change of thinking that infrastructure pipelines regardless of how you implement them, is you need to be thinking, how do I have my teams collaborating across all these steps so that they can share responsibility? So that the, the people who understand how to do an Amazon deployment work on the Amazon component. The people who understand Google work on the Google piece. And the people who understand Linux do the Linux work, right? We actually want to get our teams collaborating and sharing knowledge with this rather than having to have everybody be inches deep 
trying to make the whole system work and then not you know be able to hand off work or bring in other experts okay one of the challenges that we met on this uh, conversation between the IT and the uh, infrastructure and the DevOps guys is that we, we came to a conclusion okay the DevOps guys will prepare the templates and uh, <laughs> then the IT asks okay now how do I check those templates for misconfiguration for vulnerabilities yeah. I mean what is the right approach and uh, so what do you think about that so we there's a there's a growing body of tools that are what I would call putting the toothpaste back in the tube, sort of trying to take like a Terraform plan and, and review it and say, looks good. I don't think it will cause harm. Um, I, I am not a particularly big fan of that because what you're, you're, you're counting on the tools to catch things and catching things is not the same as doing them correctly or doing them well. And it also doesn't mean that if I improve a template that improvement translates into other people's use. So it's, it, you know, it'd be like saying, I don't have to worry about my code having security flaws in it because I've put a firewall in front of it. So I'm trying to limit act, you know, I'm trying to limit what, what's happening instead of having a shared module where if I fix the firewall, the, the code, so it doesn't have that security violation, everybody in my company picks up the new module and then continues to work. So to me, Fixing it, at, you know, trying. Uh, we should definitely try and prevent, just like we do security scans. We should try to prevent things from going going out. But we, first thing we need to actually do is have people reusing code in in ways that are productive, and then get the benefit of those improvements. And this isn't just within your team. One of the things that drives me crazy over my career is just how little reusable automation we build. Right? We we write, you know you know, thousands and thousands of lines of say Ansible scripts that are very hard to feed back into the community and improve. So, you know, everybody forks it, they write their own, they do their own custom patch and we never get an improvement, which means security flaws never are very hard to pass back through into the system. It's, it's an endemic problem in automation. Okay, so we talked enough about challenges and disputes and stuff like this. How <laughs> yep. would you recommend to build the next generation IAC platform. What components should you have? What are the cornerstones? So this is something that Racken's been doing with our product, Digital Rebar, and that is an infrastructure as code platform. It's something that we've put through four generations of thought into what what that would look like. Um, in some cases, the first passes that we did at that were very much like building connected graphs or you know just trying to leverage on top of uh, our first, our very first generations were built on top of Chef, and we just drove, you know, had ways to orchestrate more Chef behaviors back in the day. But what what we found is different in looking at this problem is that uh, you have to st first start with a code mentality. So when we when we build an infrastructure as code platform, the first thing that we do is we look at all the automation pieces, all the configuration pieces and figure out how do you create um, bundles, we call them bundles, of, of work that then can be modularized and versioned and distributed in an immutable way. And it, it's worth explaining this a little bit. So when you look at uh, Digital Rebar's automation systems, they are decomposed from pipelines to workflows, workflows to state to stages to tasks, right? They break down into very small pieces of work, but we do that because that allows us to reuse those pieces of work 
across the infrastructure. So somebody can say, oh, I need a task. I'm going to pull that out. And then what we did that has proven to be very durable pattern is you can take all of those different pieces, because now we're talking about a whole bunch of Legos, right? And, and that is hard to manage. So what we actually pull is we pull all those pieces together and give you a way to bundle them up into um, content. So you could have, say, a Kubernetes content that has all the things necessary to run a Kubernetes system. And then you could have a different one that does VMware. And if you don't need both, you don't need both. But then they end up as immutable artifacts in the individual installs. And so in a digital rebar system, you can actually say exactly what you have installed. And if you have to patch, say, the Kubernetes piece, you can come back and say, OK, I need this version of the Kubernetes piece. And it brings in all of the automation, all of the parameters, all of the configuration sets um, into the system as a, as a unit. Uh, and then even more importantly, our customers then do the same thing with their data center configuration or their unique code. So when they're building automation here, they're not just you know, pushing things into a server and hoping it's the configuration stays. They're actually putting immutable artifacts into the automation system and then running that process. And that's, that's where you actually get this reuse. It's been incredibly powerful. Okay. I want to step outside for a second. Can you define immutable infrastructure? <laughs> immutable infrastructure is this idea, and we talk about it in a lot of different ways, um, because people also use immutable infrastructure just to describe infrastructure. Um, and so the, the concept here is that you have an artifact, usually that's built in Git or something like that. So you have, you have the recipe, if you will, to build something, uh, a code module or a, a server even, you build that in and you create an artifact, an image of that. So for a server, it would be the disk image that you want to deploy for that server. For code, it's a module. For us, it's a, you know, a bundle of files. And that artifact is, when it's installed in the system, it's given a version and it is actually locked. So you don't change it. If you want to make an adjustment to the immutable artifact, and this is why it's immutable, meaning not changing, you don't change it in the system. You go back to the sources that built it, you rebuild a new version of that artifact, and then you get a new version of the artifact. And so that, that whole set of stuff is actually carried together. Uh, Docker containers are a good example of immutable artifacts. You don't patch Docker containers, or you shouldn't patch Docker containers. You build one, and then you distribute it. And if you want to fix the Docker container, you don't fix it in place. You go back to the build process, you build a new Docker container, and then you distribute that. And the reason that's so powerful and the thing that we've seen in automation systems that, is, that breaks you is that if you're fixing your systems in the field and they, they, they're driven, you, know, you get configuration drift, you get system drift, then you don't actually know what's in the field. If you go back to this immutable approach, then all of your automation and code is bundled together into a version set. And you can say, hmm, I know now how to repeat my exact implementation. And instead of fixing something in the field just by patching it, you actually go through and you rebuild the configuration. You put it through your test processes. Now we're, now we're really starting to talk like pipelines, right? I can put it through a dev process. I can compile it. I can test it. I can go from test into repeatable builds. And when we see, we see customers doing this, right? We have customers with, uh, you know, tens of getting up to hundreds of data centers with global footprints. And 
you don't manage that number of data centers with each data center has a unique configuration. You do that by having a version set of known things that go into that data center. You install that and then you run it. And if you have to fix it, you want to go back to you know, the, the sources, fix the sources, put it through a dev process, stage it, and then roll it out. And this changes the way you look at infrastructure dramatically. Um, and that's not just for like a single one. It actually works for teams too, because now going back to our problems, my DevOps team could actually fix something in a module that they control. And then if somebody's having problems, it's like, well, do you have this version of the module? We, we fix that bug. And then they have a way to patch and update their automation to a known good version, which is exactly what you'd expect from a DevOps or a developer deploying code. We're finally getting there with ops and automation and it's revolutionary in, in its impact. Okay, interesting uh, and very um, uh, thought provoking. Can, okay, going back to the previous questions about uh, the, the different uh, responsibilities, how would you in Rebar, um, uh, how would you give this, again, the IT department, the compliance department, those guys who want to monitor the DevOps, how do you give them the options and then the visibility into the pipeline to see what, what is being built? This one is funny because the answer that we, we came up with in Digital Rebar is not the one that I originally thought that we needed. Um, so it took me a little bit of, of head scratching in it. Um, part, of, part of the solution here for us is actually, there, there's a couple. Um, part of it has actually been to make it easier to break apart a pipeline into component parts. Because what, what we realized, especially when dealing with cloud users, is cloud users don't actually care about individual machines. They care about clusters of machines. So, so when you're working with digital rebar in the cloud, you're actually interfacing at the cluster level. You're saying, I want more machines in the cluster. I need these extra roles in the cluster. Um, and what we ended up doing was creating a cluster uh, entity. So something that actually has its, a cluster having its own life cycle that can exist outside of the resources on that cluster. So imagine um, bringing up a Kubernetes cluster, person running that, the, the person using that cluster actually has no concerns about the machines. It doesn't even care about the, there's a separate entity we have for resource brokers, how those machines are built. That's the Terraform and things like that. But most of the developers don't care. They just want a cluster with this capacity at this version. So having a cluster interface allows them to do that. And then that has spins up machines. Machines have their own life cycle. Resource brokers have their own, uh, their own, their own life cycle. So literally the way we've, we've broken it apart from a team's perspective is the people who care about clusters can ask for a cluster. That cluster is gonna interface into a broker that is gonna allow the team that's in, in charge of a cloud automation piece to specialize in that and look at what they're doing and then the, that spins up machines that join the that go back and join the cluster. But there are also most of our customers at the enterprise scale. They have specialists who specialize in the machines and the security of the machines and the pieces like that. And we actually make it possible those become concurrent pipelines. And inside of that, the specialists can look at each one of those pieces and patch the pieces and inject things that they need to in that process. Now you mentioned transparency. Uh, 
that's also an important part for us. And so one of the things that we've done all along here is make it so that as you run pipelines, there's incredibly rich logging. Um, it's very transparent what's happening. The data accumulates back uh, dynamically. And so it's as important as it is to have the segment segregation of concerns for different expertise it's, and then the modularity so they can collaborate in known ways. We also make it so if something's going on, you can watch what's happening. So um, I'll take a second more to explain it because it's really helpful. If I have a team who's asking for a cluster, it's going to build the cluster. They can watch that process. It's going to make a request to the resource broker. The cloud specialist can actually manage a resource broker and watch all the requests going through those brokers. They can even count up the costs going in to each one of those things. The, and then how much is being generated. And then the admin team can actually watch the machines being created and know which resource brokers spun them up and which cluster they belong to. So you can actually have all the people of different specialties monitoring the systems collaboratively to figure out what's going on. Um, so it, it really does help you know, sort of figure out everything that's moving in the system. One of the things that troubles me uh, when I watch something that's just like automating Terraform is they don't have the concepts of, oh, here's the machine that I was creating. Here's the life cycle for that machine. And so you sort of end up with a whole bunch of hidden resources. We have the opposite approach. We've made all the resource consumption much more explicit and that allows you to observe exactly what's happening throughout the process. There's no sort of dark corners of the infrastructure with Rackin. Okay, so let me try to summarize and see if I understand the digital rebar correctly. So first of all, you don't care what infrastructure is a, uh, as a code solution I'm using, uh, Terraforms, CloudFormation, uh, Blue, Azure Blueprints, you, your solution is on top of all of those. Right, and right. you allow the different teams or uh, basically the, the, the operations and the developers team just to build what they want, uh, like by, I don't know, choosing the right templates from the, uh, from the things and basically uh, allows them to reuse the templates and reuse the code that they were already building and uh, create a better solution. And with that said, uh, you also give the other, uh, the other teams the visibility into this environment and inspect this. Uh, missing something? That's, uh, okay. No, that's exactly what we're doing. Um, mm -hmm. And then you know, one of the benefits in that is that we do help uh, people decompose you know, what would be basically a huge, like a huge Terraform template or a huge Ansible template into more infrastructure as code reusable pieces. And so that, that is another component for this is that um, what you're describing is, is really exciting. And then it also lets us say, and how do you, you know, have those two teams each contribute different pieces when they need to. Okay. I was trying so, to think, Moshe uh, um, and Rob, about the difference between the DevOps and the SREs. And I was stuck in this ah. question for, for, I think, 10 minutes. <laughs> and I said, okay, I must ask this question and how this solution uh, comes uh, uh, to this point. <laughs> yeah, I, I got really excited about SREs when when the, when the Google you know put out the book and, and, and came about. I think that in market, we are seeing less and less differentiation between a DevOps and an, and an SRE. Generally, the SREs are, are, are more code focused and more systems focused than a, a DevOps person who, who by, by design, should be more process uh, focused. But in, in market, uh, you know, we don't get that hung up on titles from that perspective. Um, and in some of it, you know, we're now getting excited about the term platform team 
which you know is a combination of SRE and and DevOps and yeah, it's it really is about treating automation more like a development process. So SREs are amazing for that, but the, the DevOps engineers are, are right there too. So It was itching me for 10 minutes, so I, 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 <laughs> I should have to ask the, the question. <laughs> Thank you. Yep. Okay, Rob, so this was very interesting. Uh, we learned a lot about the challenges of infrastructure code and how do you plan to solve them with digital rebar. Anything you want to add on top of this? I think I already summarized what I understood, so uh, I'll let you uh, finish with uh, last words. I appreciate that. Thank you. Um, you know, for us, we would love to collaborate with people around this. Um, you know, the infrastructure pipelines concept is really empowering, but it's empowering when it's done, you know, with people building them and, and creating them. And so I would really encourage people to try out, you know, their infrastructure pipelines. Of course, I'd love for them to do it with Rackend and Digital Rebar. Um, that we've made really easy. It's downloadable software and you can come in and play and actually sort of just experiment to see how the systems work um, and then take lessons learned from this. I, I think it's it really is transforming our industry. And as we get deeper into infrastructure as code and treat systems more like development platforms, I really think it's gonna help in SRE speak, uh, reduce the toil of, of building these systems and, and move us into a much more productive space. And that ultimately is where, you know, my career has always been driving is how do you, how do you make automation not feel like, um, you know, you're, you're, you're fighting your last battle um, every single day. Okay. So thanks a lot, Rob, for your time and all the insights. Um, if somebody wants to get in touch with you, how do you do this? Uh, simplest just to visit rackend.com, of course. Uh, I am Zeichel, Z-E-H-I-C-L-E. -E. Uh, it's a name that goes back to my electric car days um, on, on Twitter. And um, that is a very easy way to reach out and connect with me and have, have discussions. Um, you know, I really do love to engage in not just what's going on with the tech, but where all of these platforms are going. Um, spend a lot of time thinking about you know how we're building infrastructure and, and what the next wave of that infrastructure is going to be okay sounds good and we also uh, uh, let's remember we have to post uh, the, this on the on the abstract of the episode so people can get in touch with rob we have not a nice and better website so we, we can do it now mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> thank you very much uh, rob for your time and also to all the listeners that we have uh, thank you and goodbye Goodbye, thank you. Thank you.